LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening, LDB. I am back. I'm your host, Chris Schultzer. Uh, I am joined, as always, by our commissioner, or I should say co-commissioner, Matt Starr. Matt, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. A little tired, but, uh, you know, for good reason. But out in the sun all day. We're going to hear about that in a minute, I'm pretty sure. And uh, we're also joined by co-host and current ghost champion, Sean Crean. Sean, how you doing? Hey, Chris. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. There we are. And we also have Obi-Wan Kenobi with us today. Matt Becker, how you doing? <laughs> uh, doing great, doing great. I, I'm going to go with nicknames from this point on, and you are Obi-Wan Kenobi until you stop your- Did you, did you call oh, him Matt? Yeah, Becker. I'll go by Michael, too. Oh, did I go? Did I call him Mike? Oh, my God. <laughs> Michael Becker. You know, I was I so- I don't understand where that was going. So focused on the Obi-Wan Kenobi delivery that I just completely butchered your name, and I clearly don't know who you are, so I apologize for that. Uh, and last but not least, we have the Night King with us today. Night King, Mark Sandberg, how are you? It's Matt Sandberg, Chris. Doing well. <laughs> now you're all just fucking with me. <laughs> um, you should just restart this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should not. You should not. Do it live. Yeah, you know what? This is, it's a good time. Um, I, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast. I got to give you guys some credit. Uh, I, I want to give us some some chances here to just talk to Mark a little bit because um, Mark's our special guest. Uh, and I did plan a little bit of an activity, but before we do that, Mark, we have a habit when we bring guests on just of hearing about their baseball histories and specifically with you. Um, I know that you've been, uh, you're one of the few folks that has owned uh, not one, but two LDB teams in some form. Um, so I was hoping you could sort of walk us through how you got into this league? Uh, was Were you originally friends with with Star or like, how did you get connected to us? Uh, it was actually Dubner. So my first job down in DC, Jeff and I shared a wall and it didn't take us too long to realize that we had nerdy baseball fandom in common. Uh, pretty early on while I was there, we tried to convince one of the senior lawyers to send the two of us to a sabermetrics conference because we claimed that it would be useful analytic tools for lawsuits. Didn't work, but we tried. Um, and in either, I think it was 2013, you guys had an opening and he asked me if I was interested and I was just too slammed at the time. And I think that was the first expansion before, or the last expansion, excuse me, before Becker and I joined. Uh, and then in 14 and 15, I co-owned the garage and then later the busters with Ray. Um, much to the amusement of all of LDB, Ray and I never actually met while we were co-owners. We did it all uh, transcontinental telephone and uh, the Buster's success during that time, I think, indicated that general management was trying to, you know, co-manage the team 3,000 miles apart. I think we won about eight games between the two seasons. Uh, <laughs> took the 16 season off, uh, and then uh, the roof arrived in 17. So this is my fifth season, if you count the ghost year, or if you don't, uh, plus two with Ray. I think you got to count the ghost season. All right, so so that's that's quite the history. and throughout you've been either all in or all out which i appreciate about you yeah uh, and true or false you're a red sox fan very true okay and were you born in massachusetts i was born in connecticut but my dad's from a boston suburb so i was not given a choice okay and you recently gave up your fenway season tickets that you've had for a number of years 
I did. It just got really tiring trying to sell all those games. Um, and, you know, I used my own tickets exactly once. Um, for what it's worth, that was the 2018 ALDS. So, you know, it was worth having those tickets and using them exactly once to get to go to game one. But it uh, just wasn't worth continuing to try to sell 10 games every single year. Where were your seats? Right field, box 89. Yeah, special, uh, like warm and fuzzies when you when you sit there now, or do you not really care where you sit? I don't really care where I sit, right? Any seat in Fenway is a good seat because you're there. That, I strongly disagree. There's a few seats that like are like directly <laughs> behind poles. But it's it like completely shows the the greed of the Red Sox ownership that they, you know, they they put you behind the pole and they charge you the same as the seat three over that has a completely unobstructed view. I went to a game of three guys in high school and one of our seats was obstructed by a pole. And so we literally just rotated down the line every half inning or so and just kept playing musical chairs for the whole game. It, it was pretty terrible. It's fair. All right. I got to ask you this. Uh, grade the Fenway food on an A to F scale. Uh, B. B. It's B. B. So, I, you know, I stopped eating meat uh, other than chicken a few years ago so i no longer eat the fenway frank which is for me still the star and the whatever the vegetarian hot dog option is at fenway is disgusting but uh the fenway frank is so delicious you know where else are you going to get chowder that someone's carrying around on their head um it's just you know it's a b but uh you know i compare it to nats park i compare it to camden doesn't quite hold up john i gotta put you on the spot here i didn't warn you we were going to do this but do you agree with the b on fenway food it's been a while. I, I, it's, it's so, it's just not very memorable to me. So I think I, I'd have to agree. I'm, I'm kind of impressed that they have a veggie hot dog though. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised it isn't that good, but at least they're trying. Oh, it's um, all. That would be a good set. That would be a good segment, Chris, for the future. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm prepared to really grade all the ballparks food, but uh, I think the bar is definitely raised overall over the last couple of decades for ballpark food. So maybe Fenway's, I have to imagine Fenway is better than when we were kids, but I don't really remember it that well. I think the hot dog's fine. Uh, and they recently opened a tasty burger in, uh, in, in, in one section, which is like not, not terrible. Um, clearly trying to copy city field, having the shake shack in the stadium. Um, but outside of that, like, I, I, you know, it's kind of not very memorable to me and the beer choices, I think for, for an area that has such good beer, they really don't do a good job with, with getting good beers there. It's basically harpoon and Sam Adams and that's it. Um, so not to digress too much, I will say I think the Oakland Coliseum has the worst food I've ever had in a in a baseball stadium, especially considering Oakland has a really good food scene and obviously Northern California has plenty of interesting food. But yeah. Um, well, I, I I think we should add that to our, our short list of of future things to talk about is is more more food. Uh, Mark, a little bit more of just like a get to know you stretch uh, before I do the activity. And the activity is very your team focused. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little curious, uh, if you're willing to talk about personal life at all. Um, I know you have a dog and I think I remember from Jeff's party, uh, that was like the friendliest dog I've ever seen. Um, what, what is your dog's name? Her name is Kelly, the dog. She's uh, right behind me right now, actually. Yeah. Is it Kelly, the dog or just Kelly? Uh, it's Kelly, the dog. She, she goes by her, her street name of Kelly, but her, her full name is Kelly, the dog. Yeah. And she's a rescue, right? Yeah. Uh, are you rescue all the way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I'm, I'm just pro dog, but uh, she was supposed to be a foster and that didn't take. That was, uh, 
I think technically she might still be a foster, but you know, at some point after nine years, you stop saying that. Fair enough. Uh, and two more things that, you know, I know about you. Um, you are married, true? Yes, I am. Wife's name? Uh, Taylor. Taylor yeah. the human, if you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun LDB facts. Uh, I knew um, Taylor before I even met Mark. I met Taylor through work, where she was like a work mentor of mine. That's amazing. You I guys like worked together like five, six years ago at this point, right? Yeah, Peter? probably yeah. 20, 2015. Yeah. Taylor the human is better than Taylor the blanket. Uh, I don't know if you guys <laughs> know that somebody in England married a blanket. So um, that, that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, all right. Well, there, there you go. And last thing, uh, since I know you're a beer fanatic, give me your favorite brewery of the last 12 months. Who do you think's done the best work? So this is a little weird, but I have largely stopped drinking during lockdown. Uh, it's not a conscious choice. It just sort of happened. Um, so, you know, the best beer that I've had during lockdown and star is going to get annoyed at me is definitely other half. Um, you know, they opened a DC outpost and so it was easy to get. I've always liked other half. And now that, you know, they're a mile and a half from my house, um, you know, I've, I've certainly been drinking them more than I was. It's always delicious. It stays delicious, but I haven't tried anything new, anything exciting, anything cutting edge in probably two years at this point. Fair enough. Are we ready for an activity? Let's do it. Let's do it. Right, All right. So, so uh, the activity is is largely because of the way that uh, Mark has grown his team, which I know we're going to talk about in just a couple minutes. So uh, I'm going to let, uh, for teams, we're going to have Mark be his own team. We're going to have Star be his own team. And then I'm going to total Sean and Becker's points, because I don't think it's really fair to have them be uh, alone against the guy who owns the team currently and the commissioner whose job it is to know the league. Um, so there's gonna be a couple of questions here. Um, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, and then there will be one tiebreaker question at the end. Um, so you're not allowed to be on the LDB page. I would like it if you can, uh, and I'm gonna give each of you about five seconds to, to, uh, to come up with your number. And then I will randomly ask you how many you think it is. How many uh, current players are either on major league ILs or currently in the major leagues that are in Mark's double A? Clearly Becker and, and Sean will be taking wild guesses here. Becker, I'm gonna start with you. I'll say five. He's going with five. Sean? How many players are either in the IL or in the major leagues in Mark's in Mark's minors, yeah. That's correct. Uh, I'll go with uh, four. He's going with four. Star? I'm going to say seven. Seven. All right. And Mark, how well do you know your own team? So for prices rights, if we're prices right rules, I'll say eight because it's definitely more than seven. I think it's either 11 or 12. It <laughs> is eight. You got it on the nose with eight. Oh, uh, was low. <laughs> You got it with eight. All right. The second, <laughs> second question uh, is, uh, and I will, I will change up the order this time. Um, how many future picks does Mark currently own? And that is between the 2022 draft and the 2023 draft. I'm going to give you all a moment to think. I think you said this on a recent podcast. Someone did. I, I did not. Um, I think Ian, Ian might've said it at some point. Yeah. The power did. And I think I, I, remarked how high it was all right well star we're gonna start with you this time any guesses 
I'm going to say 15. 15. All that right. might be low. Is that low? That might be low. <laughs> God help us all. Mark, what's your guess? I'm going to go back to 12 again. 12. All right. And then uh, Sean? I believe Ian said that he had eight, but that was first round picks. So yeah. let's add, I think, I think 12 probably is right, but let's go 13. 13. All right. Becker? I was going to say 13, but so long as you're adding us up, I'll go with 12. Uh, unfortunately, none of you got it. The correct answer was 14 future picks. 14 future Ooh. picks for Mark. Uh, and our third question, how many uh, current AA players, and I don't mean AA in real baseball, I mean in LDB AA, does Mark have that are not in the majors, excluding players who've been removed for soup? We are not counting soup in this calculation. So I'll state, I'll state it one more time because that was very long-winded. Double A for LDB. That means any minor league player, just not in the majors, not on a major league IL, currently in Mark's double A. Mark, we're starting with you on this one. 16. It says 16. All too right. low, Mark. Too low. Sean? Yeah, I think that's too low. Uh, 27. I feel like yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it would give me five uh, double guys. It? <laughs> All right, star. Uh, I was gonna say around twenty, so let's just say twenty. Twenty, okay, and Becker. Twenty-three. All right, star, you get it. It was twenty on the notes. Wow. Congratulations on that one, and I'm gonna give you all the tiebreaker question. Um, and that question is, who was the 2017 winner of the Bob Feller Player of the Year Award? What is the Bob Feller Player of the Year Award? Well, I'll, I'll just let any of you guess. I'm sorry, the correct answer was Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber, everyone. Uh, Matt Starr, thank Should've you very known. much. Should have known. <laughs> I couldn't That's resist. the setup. I couldn't resist. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I think this is the perfect segue. If I'm doing my math correctly, that's 20 in the double A, actually double A. Uh, then we've got eight from the actual major league. So that's 28 plus the 14 picks coming up. That's 42 players. That is your army that's coming our way. So... I believe that the team wanted me just to say, what the fuck are you doing? But instead, I'm going to say, Sean, take it away for downwind with the wind. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to ask the same. But um, yeah, let's, let's build back up to that question. I mean, Mark, obviously, you've been in the league now for four or five years, um, longer if you count the, the co-ownership. To me, um, when I remember you joining as, a, as your own owner, um, I guess it was shortly after AJ Preller had done his little dance in San Diego where he started off hot and he traded for a bunch of, of assets and it didn't quite work out. And then he did an absolute 180 very quickly and started building the juggernaut that we know today. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's been your narrative and it's been, it's been super fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I think we'll just spend a lot of this conversation just going back and forth on everyone's philosophy on this, I'm going for it versus building for the future, kind of, you know, when you, when you push in your chips and the strategy. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just go back to, to Chris's question. Like, what, what the hell are you doing? What, what, give, give us your existential kind of feeling here. Uh, I, I wish that I had sort of a, you know, dominant theory of the roof, 
uh, I said to Star yesterday that I think it's going to be a little disappointing for folks in some ways because I don't know that I know what I'm doing and I don't know that a lot of this is thought out so much as I see shiny stuff and I grab at it. Um, thinking back to time that Ray and I were co-running the garage, there were times that there were deals on the table that I would say, Ray, we should totally make this deal. And Ray would say, okay, are we making that deal because you think we can go for it? Are we making that deal for the future? What is the thinking behind making this deal? And I would say, I don't know, it looks like a good deal, Ray. I think we should make it. And Ray would say, oh my God, you're an absolute lunatic. And um, you know, I think that's just carried over. And now I don't have the mediating influence of Ray to sort of say, hey, is there a point to this? Or are you just swatting at every tray that comes through the door? So on some level, you know, obviously the strategy, Chris always draws comparisons to Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but as I understand it, there's some like looming army outside a wall. Obviously the strategy is I, I want a massive looming army so that at some point I can have a team completely comprising, um, you know, 29 H1s, Trout and DeGrom and, <laughs> you know, do it, do it on like a $180 million budget. So there is a theory. That's, yeah. You've revealed yourself. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's the theory, right? And as I've learned this week in trade negotiations, I'm super gun shy about pushing any of these chips. So clearly, somewhere in the back of my brain, I want my army of all H1 team. But I don't know that I've actually been that deliberate about it so much as I just keep jumping at trades when I see them. Yeah. Well, you have a few weeks to trade for Shane Bieber, so I will say, like, you know, work it out in your head and and just kind of keep 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 thinking about it. Um, I was going to ask, I, I know that you play in a lot of leagues. So one intuition I had having not talked to you about this is you play in other leagues that intellectually stimulate you in different ways. And in this league, you're really kind of playing fantasy, um, you know, farm system in a way. And so like you're able to kind of scratch that itch and really dive deep. Do you feel like your like breadth of experience and active participation in other leagues is impacts your approach to a little, to some extent? I think there's something there. Uh, this is something I've talked about with a couple folks before where they're sort of like, how are you not just itchy to go for it? And I say, well, I'm going for it, you know, in this other league. And I, you know, came in second in this league last year or whatever else. So, you know, I'm, I'm paying the fantasy bills, if you will, um, on some other leagues. Uh, Jeff Dubner and I are in a work league um, where I think we both reliably finish the money, which helps a decent bit. Um and so, you know, I think you're right. I think playing fantasy farm GM is something that's a little easier to do when you've got three other teams and one or two of them are sort of always competitive at any given time. I mean, one of those is a full redraft league, right? So there's no potential to build anything. Um, so it is, yeah, it's just a, it, it's a totally different game and a totally different exercise. And I'm happy to keep playing it until the moment feels right because I have those other three. I think that's fair. So you know, this past week, you, you kind of broke the seal a little bit. You, you did a, a pick downgrade, which yeah. was given the number of picks you have. I mean, that was, that was a bold move, I would say. So, well, how, I mean, I, I know you're still thinking about this year, but look, Chris is a juggernaut right now. I mean, the fry are kind of, I think they're, they're, they're kind of showing some signs of life. I mean, clearly that's a real juggernaut and, and probably uh, uh, some, a, a kind of dynasty in the making that you aspire to. Um, you know, you've got some other really competitive teams, Brophy, um, the Ichiros are doing well. Um, there's, there's plenty of competition, but, you know, you've got some strong assets, particularly in that rotation. So, you know, 
Give us a little bit more there. What are you What are you thinking? Are there any dynamics? Are there any like kind of watch points? Something happens within a few weeks that 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 are informing your thinking. I mean, I I can tell you myself. I'm trailing you by a few games. I I mean, I I you know, I every week I'm I'm thinking about it. So so just give us a little bit more as you kind of enter the competitive window. What what are the decision points for you? So I think if you look at the federal right now, wild card two is wide open and wild card one is sort of open. Um, Chris is going to win iron and oil. That's not an attempt to reverse jinx. Chris, I think you're going to be 22 games up at the end of the week. Um, you know, nice work. Bravo. Iron and oil is a race for second. And as of the last time I looked at standings and projected results this week, Jorvi and Anton and I are going to be one game apart and one game apart. Um, so, you know, that's tight. And then, it seems likely, you know, that it's going to come down to Sean, you, me, Peterson, Jorvi, and Anton for probably wildcard two. Paul looks like he's likely in the driver's seat for wildcard one. So, you know, the idea of pushing a ton of chips to have a one in five shot at not having a buy and playing away my first week, it's a little scary to me. Now, that said, if DeGrom comes back and makes the major leagues look the way he made the Palm Beach Cardinals look, and he's grooving and Woodruff's still grooving and the whole rotation's going and a couple of my batters pick it up a little bit and I can do something about my bullpen and I honestly think I can make a run, that's fine. I don't see that happening and I don't know what the gate is that I'm suddenly going to look at my team and say, oh, you know what, I'm there. So I, I got to be honest, I actually regret pushing that chip upgrade. Um, it was sort of just anger at how bad my pen has been and I just, it was like a desperation move. Um, on tilt, man. I am on tilt. That's exactly right. And Ian, Ian made fun of me in the uh, draft spreadsheet. I don't know if folks saw. Uh, if you look at the swap on the pick, the trade is just listed as reliever question mark. So thanks, Ian. <laughs> I'm right there with you on the pen. I actually like a lot of the guys in my pen, but just the VJ has just been killing me every week. Um, yeah, it's I mean, I think too. Just... I think to figure out how much of that is the you know the freebie runner right? And this is something we'll oh talk God, about, yeah. and, you know, yes. whether we're going to consider this next year. It's just wild. It's a high wire act. Yeah. Uh, Sean, can I, can I jump in to ask a, a, a follow-up question to one that you just asked? Yeah, let's open it all up, please. I, so like, Mark, I'm, I'm curious with 42 future assets coming your way. <laughs> uh, is there any player that you would say you're so excited about that he's untouchable at this point? Uh possibly one of Julio or Marco Luciano, right? I, I think if, if you look at the farm, the, the roof is heavy on J2s. I sometimes refer, sometimes refer to the roof's farm system as La Piscina uh, Olimpica in El Techo, um, which is you know not ideal, but uh, it's, uh, I, I love the J2 guys. I find them exciting. I love the skill sets. I love the upside of, you know, guys who are a little bit younger than your usual domestic prospects. Those two are just really exciting to me. I've been in on them, you know, I think maybe a little bit earlier than folks were on both of them. Not, not because of anything special, just because I saw their profiles and I was like, oh, that's the profile that I really like. Um, you know, I actually almost took Luciano two years ago, which would have been a year early, um, just because that's, you know, that's the profile I like. And the two of them have just kept it up. So, you know, they're, they're super exciting. I, I should butt in here to say, uh, to demonstrate how far his farm system has come. Do you remember, Mark, a couple of years ago when we caught that ball game in Baltimore? And I turned to you and I said, who is your favorite prospect right now? Do you remember what you said? God, no. Taylor Trammell. 
Oh my. Yeah. Hey, he's, he's one of the eight though, I believe currently in the majors or on the major league IL. So again, let's, let's settle down about those 42 future assets. So had we just seen him in the futures game when that question was asked? Cause he we looked did. amazing. We had, he was, oh, yeah. He looked like he was going to be a star. Uh, yeah. I think both in the home run derby and, and like the, in the minor league home run derby and in the game itself, he just like looked incredible and it just hasn't really materialized. More right. I'm not, I'm like. not trying to mock you. I think, no, uh, no, you know, it was a financer at the time. And I think it, there are probably 10 other owners in this league who'd be uh, for whom Taylor Trammell might be their best prospect well, I, on I, stars team. I'm the one. Who- I, I would just like to, I, I would just like to point out that Taylor Trammell uh, since being demoted to triple a has a, 1337 OPS. Yeah. So I'm not writing Taylor Trammell off yet, even though he struggled in the majors. Uh, There's still hope there. I raise this merely as an example of how far Mark has come. Yeah. I I was the one who traded Mark, uh, Taylor Trammell. And uh, was that the Bumgarner trade, Chris? It was the Bumgarner trade. And and actually, I've had this weird thing happen with karma where. The, the trades that I make where I give somebody up that's big, either the player I get works out and it's really big for both, uh, where the double A player also pans out. See uh, my getting um, uh, Trey Turner uh, and giving up Obachette, right? That was a win-win. Uh, but this was an all ado about nothing. Like you and I spent a lot of time negotiating that trade of, of basically Trammell for, for Bumgarner and then Bumgarner was terrible and Tremel has not done anything yet. So we'll see if you get something there. I'll have to look and see. I, th- I feel like there was a late pick involved in that trade too. I'll, I'll look later and try to see who that became. It might've been a first rounder. I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is a dead dragon that is now breathing ice fire over the wall. So um, that's not going well for anyone. Star, it looks like you were Rodriguez probably. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, Chris, I know you like the Game of Thrones comparisons, and, and I'm a big fan. Mark, Mark doesn't watch. But so, Mark, so you know, um, the White Walkers, um, are, if you're going to watch it, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I feel like it sounds like you would have watched it by now. Um, the, the White Walkers are defeated by uh, the assassination of the, the, the head of the White Walkers is known as the Night King. And so in a previous episode, we were debating, you know, who the Night King was. Hopefully it's not you because none of us want to kill you. But like, is is Taylor Trammell? I mean, I'm I'm sensing like, you know, who Chris? Maybe you can take this one. Like, who is the Night King within Mark's farm? Or maybe there isn't one. It's just so deep. But do you think there is? Is it Marco? I mean, what, what do you think? Listen, I, I I'm gonna stick with it's Mark, and I'm not trying to be an <laughs> asshole here. It's just that I'm envisioning that scene. Uh, in I think it's the second to last season where the Night King is is staring at Jon Snow as Jon Snow escapes and then he raises all the people that just died and his own dead people and he just does this. And for all you are just listening, I'm just very slowly raising my hands into the air. Um, you go look at the scene if you don't uh, know it. And and I'm that's what I think is going to happen. Basically, we're going to have a moment where Mark is very slowly going to raise his hands into the air and this army of White Walkers is going to scale the wall and we're all going to be dead. And it's really so- simple. So let's pull up uh, 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 commissioner on this. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, though, I mean, on that, like, is it 2022 that that happens? When is it going to happen? Well, so so I, I would like to say that I think there was a one one problem with this Night King comparison is that the Night King, we waited, you know, how many fucking seasons of Game of Thrones were there? Seven seasons, eight seasons? I don't even remember at this point. Uh, we waited eight seasons 
for the Night King to show up. And then he was like dispatched like, you know, in a day. And it was like, okay, well that what the fuck? So is that is that is that is that where what's gonna happen to Mark after all this waiting? His team's never actually gonna be good and he's just gonna be immediately dispatched. Is that what you're saying, Chris? No, but I, I, what I am saying is I, I, you know, the Night King did have his victories and uh, I think, you know, Jorvi and I are going to be some of the, 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 the ones who die. <laughs> That's what I want to say. <laughs> like, it's possible that one of you will vanquish him, but over a 20 game season, there's going to be several seasons where we just know it's, it's not looking good, which is all the, you know, better reason why I appreciate your compliment, uh, Mark, that my team's on fire and, uh, and hopefully we can hold on this year. To, to actually answer your question, Sean, um, it, it, I think one thing that's a little interesting is that the farm system is not currently full of guys who are like crushing it in the majors um, yet. You know, we're not there yet. Uh, I think there are some guys who are currently in the majors who are going to be useful. You know, Kyle Tucker being the best of them has been great in May after a slow start. It was great last year. Lux is finally starting to turn it around, but you know, if we're talking about like purely based on, you know, it, the talent going through the roof because he prom- uh, Mark promoted everybody, it may, like maybe next year it's possible it could still be another year away from now. Uh, well, talent, the talent of, will though, go through the roof, Matt. It'll go onto the roof. I just want to it, it'll go onto the roof. That is, that is fair. You know, th- we're going to see some guys. Uh, Vidal Bruhan is going to be up this year. Uh, he looks incredible in triple a right now he he's all of a sudden this guy who was all hitting speed is hitting home runs all over the place um so that's that's a little scary to see i think julio rodriguez probably comes up at some point later this year if these guys hit in addition to the guys that mark already has you know i think maybe next year is when we really start to see the fruits of this i think two years from now is when we should all be terrified Mark, can I ask you about your draft prep? I, I think one of the first drafts that I was that I remember very clearly was 19. I think you had two picks within the first five, and you, you zigged where a lot of people zagged. Or maybe I am mixing that metaphor, but um, I think you went Lux and uh, and Vidal Sassoon. Uh, they were. I don't think anyone else. Maybe a couple people had them high atop the, the draft board, but there were certainly others. Are you a, you know, get your guy type of drafter? Uh, was there something else at play? Can you kind of take us through what you look for in prospects? Yeah, it's, um, I feel like usually I've gone into the double-A draft with two or three guys who I really want and then a bunch of guys who, you know, I like and have thoughts on and whatever else. And that year, I don't remember specifically why I was so high on Lux and Bruhan, but I remember, uh, you know, I think that was the year that the first four picks were pretty clear in some order, right? Jorvi kind of jumping on a little bit on Paddock, which threw a couple people for a loop. But, you know, Paddock was going to be a top four or five guy. Um, and I, I think my first pick was something like 12. And I thought that they would both get down to me at 12 and that I could do some playing around. And then one of them went at six or thereabouts. And I just went crazy and traded up. Uh, and traded up, I think, to two picks very close together to make sure that I got them. I honestly don't remember what it was specifically about Lux and Bruhan that just had me so sold on them. But on my spreadsheet that year, if I remember right, it was like the four guys that we all knew were going 
first were this clump at the top with the note that was like, don't even bother to look them up. And then a line break, Lux and Bruhan, and then a bunch of line breaks to whoever was sort of, you know, my next pocket of guys. So yeah, I, you know, and it's the same thing with Luciano. I think Becker, you and I were talking about this during the draft in, I guess it was 2020, right? Because we had a double A right. draft before everything got shut down. You had two, I had three. Or no, you had three, I had two. I, well, I had one and I was trying to trade to three. This, this is actually an interesting story and we should get uh, Peterson in, involved in, yeah. in counting this, but there was a little bit of gamesmanship, I think, because I think I wanted Bohm from the jump at number yep. one. Uh, I thought that you liked Luciano at two and you know, I think Peterson was going for Dylan Carlson at three. So knowing you know, but you expressed some interest in Alec Bohm just to kind of throw me off the scent, I think. Um, but I ended up trading Peterson uh, pick swap and I took three or I took three knowing Bohm would be there and you've got your guy all along. That, yeah. that had to be pretty good for you. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I think you're right. All three of us were sort of, you know, we were locked into a guy and we were all bluffing that we weren't, um, <laughs> you know, and it, right. And so, you know, we're all terrible thing. at it, by the way. Yeah, right. I mean, apparently Josh is the best poker player in LDV, so thankfully he wasn't in the top three or we all would just be, you know, in, in hock to the AIDS farm system. Um, you know, but it was the same phenomenon, right, where I came into that draft and I was like, I'm getting Luciano. I don't care what it takes. Um, and if someone had taken him at one, uh, I, I would have, again, probably been like, look, here's pick two plus Kyle Tucker plus RFAs and someone give me Luciano, you know. So I, I, I am very guilty of that um pretty much every year i would say now do you ever get concerned that some of these guy will, guys will kind of grow stale yeah um i do and also you know i've had guys just flame out right and that's that's sort of one of the nice things i think about the way we handle double a and ldb right i mean kevin maytan happened and that's kind of fun having that level of beta and just that level of unpredictability i think makes our double a draft a lot more interesting than leagues where you know guys are drafting guys who you know are going to be up by may i gotta ask another history question uh which i hope will give everybody a good chuckle uh walk us through the draft where you had a pick and you were like you know what let me get 2 million to drop back three picks. And then you did it again. <laughs> and then you did it again. And then again. And then again and again and again and again. And I'm pretty sure you came up with like 20 million and finally traded into the next year's draft. <laughs> like, what was that? I think I was out of guys that I wanted uh, by the time I started doing it. It was, it, was, it was the first season that Becker and I were in the league, as I recall. Um, and uh, it, yeah, yeah, I think I was just out of guys that I wanted in the double A draft and I wanted the cash because I decided I was going for it. Um, and so I accrued, you know, however much I got by just these ridiculous small deals. And then eventually I had people scared that I was going to sell to you know, <laughs> the guy who wanted their guy. And it was, and I've tried to, I've tried to recreate it. And I think, I think the 15 of you emailed each other and said, stop selling small pick downgrades to Mark during the double A draft because I get no traffic anymore when I try, except that, for me in, obviously. That I just have to tell you though, that's in 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 my top three non-baseball related uh, LDB memories. Um I, it was it was I every time the trade came through, I was laughing. It was it was just <laughs> 
amazing to watch. Uh, glad, so. glad I could, glad I could keep you entertained. It was, um, it was fun, right? Like, you know, and guys are, guys are coming up and saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'd only give you a million for this two pick bump. I'm like, great, fine. Get, then only give me a million in your words. I'll take it. Was that the year you offered me a hundred million for Wander Franco? I think I think I offered you a hundred million for Wander Franco the following year when I wasn't going for it. And I was like, screw it, you know, I'll uh, I'll I'll see what I can do with half a budget if I can get Wander Franco. And um, I think you were very polite in telling me to go kick rocks, but no, know, I I, I, I thought about it. I thought about it. If I weren't building for the future myself, I would have done it. But and of course, I, I, you, no, please, please. I was going to say, and then I turned around and offered Chris eighty million for Eloy. So that tells you how I how I value Wander versus Eloy. Yeah, how tempted were you, Chris? Uh, very. But <laughs> like, I like I, I'll also sit here and tell you that um, the reason that I wouldn't have is is actually probably why I will never win this league, and it's that I I enjoy the the building as much as the winning. Um, so the idea that Eloy would have played for Mark and I would have had to play against him and be doubly upset about it would have been that there's no amount of money that that would have been worth, um, especially cause he's in division. So at the end of the day, like, I actually think it was a pretty fair offer. Uh, and, and I, I think I probably should have taken it if I was really, you know, going with a star approach, actually, you know what? Nice segue star. Are you worried that your style of sell everything to win right away is going to become obsolete when when Mark and a couple other teams that are building quite like this, well, no one's building quite like this, but um, have these mega teams? Or do you think you'll always have a place uh, as the other guy, you know, going the opposite direction? Um, you know, I, I I will admit that part of my um, desire to really sell hard for this year is, is fear of Mark. <laughs> and also fear of Jordy. Uh, but George, you know, his, his team hasn't been as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I I, I think I, I I don't I don't I, I can't say this without patting myself on the back too hard here. But I mean, I just sold and bought again, and I just proved that you can do it. <laughs> like I I I just showed you how to continue this cycle. Right? I just did it. You know how how this is sustainable. I think in a sense, it's a little bit of a Ponzi scheme though. Not, not, not to discount your success, but you are, uh, do you think there will be a day two years from now, a year from now, three years from now, where it comes crashing down? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It came crashing down to me a couple of years ago and then I figured out how to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I mean, a combination of good drafting and a yearly first round pick is really all you probably need. I think if you have a couple of really solid homegrown guys, that is enough yeah. for someone that is good at auctioning and good at playing the free agent game. I mean, that's, that's how I've tried to compete for many years now. I haven't done a fire sale in a long time and it's definitely more work. I mean, it's stressful, honestly, like you have to make all of your dollars count in the auction and you have to be watching those free agent wires. And I think Mark's going to be in an amazing position, but I mean, we're seeing with Jordan right now, like you can have a really good, uh, base of homegrowns and you know it, it may not work out I mean a lot of them may be like above average but if you don't hit you know I mean clearly Jorvi is hit with some really great ones but you know if you don't hit with a bunch of them and you just have like a bunch of above average guys in your roster like that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna you know do that well that year so 
but it's yeah. a, it's definitely a perennial question of whether to to try to to kind of go into the dip and 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 play for the future or just constantly try to to compete. Um, so I mean, if if anything, Star has I'd say evolved over the years because he never used to sell. So this the last few years that you guys have been in the league is I think different for for Matt. Would would you agree, Matt? Yeah, I mean de- definitely. I I that was the first time I had ever sold uh, like that before and. You know, the plan at the time was not to do what I did either. It just kind of worked out that way. Honestly, it was entirely because of Corbin Burns. But to you, you know, to, to what you were saying, I think you don't need an army of homegrowns to succeed. You need like two or three great ones, and that that will give you what you need to build a team. If you can, if you're if you can build a team around them, that's you. Know, you can't survive without them, but you don't need like a whole team of them either. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think of it as like if you were playing a redraft league, you want your top first two, first two or three round picks to do well. If they don't do well, like you're you're probably in trouble. But if you can get that out of a homegrown, two or three of those guys, I mean, you're in really good shape as long as you make the the later round, like the 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 kind of mid round buys work. So there's a meta study that I you know it needs to happen at some point, which I think it's it's not just about having two or three really good guys. Although I admit that 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 is so helpful. It's also about timing it in the draft. Like if you had those guys as pitchers this year, it was worth way more because then you were, you were sort of uh, immune to the, the ridiculousness of this past draft. Um, I, you know, I see a similar thing that happened once before at shortstop where it was like, if you didn't have the guy, then you were dead because it was basically, um, you know, Manny Machado was, was a free agent and that was it. So like you were going to be playing a scrub or you were going to be making a huge trade. Um, so I think there's something about positional eligibility that, that we really have not gotten into as much. And that's actually why I'm so scared of Mark. I think he has everything, right? Like, I don't know how many of these guys are going to be stars, but if he gets serviceable out of a lineup and lets, it, lets him, you know, pick and choose his battles at auction, as he was describing, I think it's a dangerous way to, that's what Brophy does. Right. I mean, if, if you look back at Brophy's really amazing success years, he had uh, he had a center fielder in Trout and he had um, shortstops and second baseman. And he never had to draft for those positions. Uh, he had a third base in, in, in Bryant. And then he was just picking his battles based on stats, based on where the money was. And that's why we all got hosed over and over and over again. So um, anyway, too long of a speech. Thoughts on that? You guys agree with me? Disagree? It's definitely nice to have a lot of good players going into the option for cheap. There's no doubt about it. But yeah, no, having that depth uh, and and then having options. If, I don't know. I I'm a I take a portfolio approach with all this. Clearly, Mark, you're you're doing that with that huge farm. But like, you know, this there's there's tons of risk in all of these assets, particularly on the pitching side. So like, the more that you have, the better off you're going to be. So. So we will all uh, pray for the coming years and. Uh, and Matt's got a clear strategy of trying to compete for this year, afraid of Mark in the future. I, I haven't gotten that far ahead. I, I guess I'm just denying that, that future. Mark, not to dwell too much on the past, but I, I want to ask you about the ghost season last year and your strategy there. I think we, we all understand what you were trying to do when OBP um, by getting JD Martinez and just filling your roster. Um, Tell me where that idea came from and how successful it was for you last year and whether you think it can be useful moving forward. Uh, so it, it came from looking at 
Anton and Chris and Jorvi and saying, there's no way on earth that I can build a lineup that can even remotely contend with what these guys are bringing in basically for free. Um, and the plan was to get Trout at auction, but as folks remember, Harcourt was prepared, I think, to spend up to like $172 million on <laughs> Trout. So at some point I got outbid and fell back to JDM, who then obviously, you know, didn't have in-tunnel video or whatever and turned into, you know, a wet noodle at the plate, which is why Kyle Tucker got fake promoted, which was super fun for a while. Um, you know, I actually do think it can work. Uh, Star, I know you and I have gone a couple rounds on this before. I think that, you know, if you, if you can lock in reliably one and a half offensive wins per week, right. Cause you're not going to run it, but if you can, if you can average one and a half per week and you can get your pitching to where you're averaging over five, that's a winning record. Um, you know, and in theory, if, if you could have the really cheap one bat and then spend close to 200 million on pitching five to six categories a week is not crazy to me on the pitching side. Um, we'll obviously never find out now, uh, but that's okay. Was, was the hardest my, my, part actually trying to find the replacement players who were on the, the, the CBS app, but not actually playing in the majors? It was pretty fun. Um, you know, I was, I was like trolling retirement lists. I was trolling lists of guys who had signed in Japan and I think, I think a week before games actually started, I had every position filled except maybe short. And then someone either announced retirement or signed in Korea. And I think I actually like texted Jeff Dubner and was like, somebody signed in Korea. I'm good. Was like, <laughs> who, who was your I've favorite? Of. Who was your favorite of those? God, I don't even remember who any of them were at this point. Was one of them Martin Prado? Yeah, I'm pretty sure one of my dead fish was Martin Prado, (laughs) who was a favorite for me because my first year in the league when Ray and I were co-owners, we had like the seventh nomination at the auction and uh, Ray couldn't make the beginning of the auction. So I was I was piloting the garage. I'd never done anything in LDB and it came my turn to nominate someone. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I would need to do this. Uh, Martin Prado, that's a guy. And so, you know, in like the seventh nomination of the auction, I nominated Prado, you know, coming in behind six studs, which uh, was sort of my intro to LDB. And I think everyone was like, oh, great. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so it was exciting that he could retire as a member of the roof. Oh, you've you've maintained that spirit. I, yeah. That's what I admire I, about you is that you are willing to go against the grain and uh, not be conventional. Thanks, man. So I'm going to give the last thought before we move on to, to Matt. I know he's, he's anxious to say something, but real, real quick, I, I just need to say, love having you in the league because you consistently are bringing creative ideas. I mean, the reason the segment went as long as it did is because there's so much to talk about. Um, Star, final thought before we move on. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say, so, so after Mark tried to do this idea, I tried to uh, actually replicate this. Like, I tried to like model it out. And I think basically what happened is that you went like the average was something like like in a best case scenario because of the volatility of pitching and because you were so reliant on often one guy getting off to a good start like I couldn't like there was like no projection that came out to like above a 500 record with this strategy you came out like the best case scenario was like 5.5 wins per week is how it because pitching is too volatile and I think you only ended up winning both offensive categories like 13 or 14 times or something like that over a 20 week season. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't pan out actually 
from from the way I tried when I tried to model it the way that Big Mark hoped that it would. Uh, it was still super fun, even though it annoyed the hell out of me when I was playing him. So, um, and I know a lot of people echoed that. And uh, anyway, Mark, thank you for for you know going behind the curtain on that. Um, Matt, I know you went to a baseball game today, and we don't have a ton of time because we, we're already going to go super long. This is what happens when we have roughly one third of the league on the podcast, which is exciting. <laughs> uh, turns less into a podcast and more into just a phone conversation, which is good. Um, but how'd that go? What did it feel like? Uh, it was really nice. I don't know. I don't know if I'm the first person in LDB to go to a, an MLB game this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just great being back out there. And admittedly, I went today and Becker and I are actually going on Friday again for the, um, because the NAS stadium until for the next like two and a half weeks is still at one third capacity. And I was like, this seems like a nice way to ease my way back into this. Uh, and it was really nice. It's nice being back at the park. I haven't like done a whole lot out of my house lately. You know, I've only, you know, I was only fully vaccinated plus two weeks as of Tuesday. And we've gone out to dinner, like eaten outside like three times. So I haven't done much. I was worried about how I was going to handle being around all these people. But like, as I discovered, like even when going out to dinner, it was like it, things got back to normal. It started to feel normal very quickly. And I was, it, I mean, to a surprising extent, I think. And yeah, it just felt like very normal and like it's kind of great being back in the park, uh, watching baseball in person again. Um, and yeah, it was, just, it, it was a little hot. That was my only complaint. It was, it was a day game. It was like 93 in DC today. We were in the sun for like the first half of the game. <laughs> a, little, a little warm. Right, if I if I could have if I had one complaint, but otherwise, it was great, and I'm looking forward to going back on Friday with Becker in the evening this time. Yeah, man. So what's what's the story with vendors? Um, the, it it seems like it was maybe like every other vendor was open or something like that. Um, like a lot of times, like in the where we are on the upper level, like when there's when like the game's not sold out. It only, it's only going to be half capacity. did anyway. It just kind of felt like one of those games. So man, it's Nets Park had a brief moment there where the food was amazing. And then uh, Mike Isabella got me to, and like their entire, their entire uh, like outside vendor structure fell apart. And now they're just like, they haven't, they still haven't like found somebody you know, good, like, local people to replace them. And so the, the food at Nats Park was once outstanding and it's, you know, back to being very mediocre baseball stadium food, unfortunately. How expensive are the beers? Are they still, like, 24 bucks? Yeah, I got, I don't know, I got, a, I got like, a large devil's backbone and it was, like, $17 or something like God. that. That's, like, a 22-ounce, but, yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah. Baseball's not cheap, unfortunately. Um, I, I will hit up my first game in a week. Um, or I guess it's two. It's in the first week of June. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, are you guys cool with, uh, I don't mean to rush us, but are you, are you good with, with moving along to some of the happenings in LDB? Let's do it. I'm getting nods folks who are listening in. It's, it's time. So with that, um, I want to transition us on to the uh, review of this week. Um, I, I don't want to rub it into Dubner. I, I was, you know, I, I'm going to beat him 12-0 here. 
Um, I was saying, you know, as I wrote this up and it was not looking like it was going to be 12-0 at that point, I was thinking it was going to be much closer because he put up a ridiculous offensive week uh, and he's going to lose yeah. all the categories, which is, I, I feel for him. I'm pretty sure he would have won against almost any other team on offense. Um, and, uh, and, and it'll be 12-0. I thought that would have been the match with the week last week, but we sort of covered that in the previous segment. Um, so let's go on to this, uh, recent trends, anything that you guys want to note in LDB? I think, I mean, I think uh, like Nate, Nate, uh, I would say Nate, Nate, Nate keeps winning. And, uh, you know, I, we talked about him last week, but you know, I think the slow start for that team was just a slow start. And this is a very good team that we all need to worry about. <laughs> I agree. I, I was going to say nature is healing. So uh, Nate's Nate is writing the ship. Um, yeah. Uh, others who kind of came off to slow starts are getting better. So I, I think it's, I think it's moving in the right direction for the teams that we expected to do well. That was my, go ahead, go ahead. I just think it's generally exciting how close things are. Right. Um, I mean, the number of teams that are in one, two, three game gaps with each other for wildcard spots. You know, again, obviously we're third of the way through the season. I don't want to jump any guns, but it's just remarkable how tight things are beyond those tight, those top couple of teams, which is, you know, exciting and fun. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I if, if I had been running Anton's team, um, three weeks ago, I might've started the cell and I think it would have been wrong. Cause I think that that team can bounce back too. Um, you know, he's, he's got yeah. an important couple weeks coming up here because he's in playing, uh, against, um, hoodwink or whatever we call that division. Uh, I, I never know what to call it. Uh, I, I, he's got the tough matchups coming, I believe. I think he just had Josh, but he's going to have Dubner, um, uh, soon. So that's, he's going to have to have a good performance here. Go ahead, star. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I think I'm really curious to see how many teams we actually have that are that end up being sellers. Uh, I I don't know that it's going to be that many. I think you know Ian and Ray are obviously already there. I don't think either of them, unfortunately, has a whole lot left to sell at this point. Um, I think it's probably Hughes and Peterson behind them, and they're the only other teams right now that I feel confident in saying like these teams are probably going to sell uh and i don't i i wonder if we're going to have the other 12 teams competing for a playoff spot yeah it's an interesting dynamic i mean as someone that's thinking about the next few weeks and whether i will want to to, to actually sell at some point um i'm remembering a few years ago when i was in this position i ended up deciding not to Dubner and i had a huge trade planned at the deadline and I actually, I remember um, my oldest daughter pooped in the tub and I had to clean it up right at the deadline. And that was like the, the kind of the camel, the hair that broke my back to not sell for whatever reason. It could have gone either way. But um, I feel like I'm in the same sort of not sure whether to buy or sell position. And I was going to ask in the Mark segment, and, and Chris, hopefully this is okay to, to go on a little bit about this, but there's an interesting dynamic about being the first to buy or sell because with a market where it's sort of weird, people are like kind of not sure what to do. Like if you can make a bold move either on the buy or the sell side, you might get a good deal. Um, and so I, I, I agree with Matt. Like I, I don't, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of action uh, in terms of like a big swing one way or the other in terms of buy or sell, but um, it's definitely going to be interesting over the next few weeks. 
I, I'll, I'll chime in. I think you're on to something, Sean. I think being getting to make that first trade positions you to have the good players longer. So when you're the buyer, it always makes sense. Um, I think, you know, I, I always wonder when you have five weeks to go, our deadline's late. Five weeks to go, you're really saying, I want a little bit better of the roll of the dice when I get to the playoffs. And that never feels that great to me on the rentals. So I, I'm never willing to give up the huge pieces on those. When I get indecisive at this year's deadline, I'm going to call, in, call it pooping the tub. Please do. <laughs> well, let's make that a thing. Um, I do want to quickly, Chris, nothing on the trends, but I wanted to acknowledge uh, the commissioner and my matchup this week. I'm not losing as badly as I was to you, the, the podcast that I missed a, a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a funny moment this morning, though, where, where Star and I were texting about the, the bad pitching matchup today. And he's like, well, I only started Brubaker because you were starting J.A. Happ and Dallas Keuchel, which was frankly like a bit of a, a Hail Mary on my part. But I started them because I saw he had Brubaker. So I think we both were sort of misinterpreting the other's intentions. But it was, so it was a nice standoff. We all had bad starts, but stars were slightly worse, which has allowed me to get eke out a 4-8 loss, which could have been could have been worse. So. Yeah, I think if I had not started Brubaker, this would have been 10 2, and it said it's going to be 8 4. So this, this, it, it ended up not being the greatest for me. Brubaker gave up three home runs, and that, that was killer. I did not anticipate that happening. So I, I'm losing, I'm going to lose with HRA by one. This is where, this is actually what, what I hope we do a little more of in future podcasts. I just need to tell you how lucky I was this week in that I looked at the pitching numbers and I was like, all right. The only thing at risk here is K's against Dubner. So I benched everyone except Chapman. And then Chapman gives up his first home run of the season. And, and I briefly go down on HRA and I was like, fuck, there goes the 12-0. And then 10 minutes later, Michael Fulmer gives up a home run and <laughs> Dubner's like losing his shit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's funny, these little tiny decisions that sometimes they work, but most of the time they just end up being the story we remember. Um, Anyway, uh, any one other trend I wanted to note is that Paul's team's on fire. I think he's going to win 11 to one this week. Uh, and so, you know, Mark, you already noted that at the end of this week, he's going to be the team that you feel is uh, most secure in, in having a, a wild card spot or at least a playoff spot. Let's call it that. I think his team is doing a lot better. So nice to see Paul back after I, I took him to town last week. I think I beat him 11 to one. So he basically just righted the ship here with this win. <laughs> I will say he's played in the box this week, so you got to beat up on the on the box when you can. No offense, Ian. Uh, I'm sure he would acknowledge that with Trout just going down. But uh, no, Paul's formidable. I, I'm going to need to beat him pretty bad in order to catch up. All right. Uh, our time for our weekly segment. Anyone willing to announce any LDB deaths this week? Anybody you think is is done that we have not already pronounced dead? I'm seeing shaking of the head and that fits with our previous segment where we were saying everyone's sort of in it. Um, so then I guess, unless, uh, unless folks have anything else they want to talk about with the recent trends, we can switch over to the game of the week. Is that good with folks? Yes. Game of the week. Oh, you're gonna have to do that every time now. <laughs> you're gonna have to do that every time. All right. So Becker, um, I'll, I'll put you on the spot then. Uh, I, I did a better job this time in announcing what it was going to be. I, I think it's got to be Brophy versus Nate. I was anticipating that Nate's on a hot streak um, and his team is trying to keep it on a roll. Brophy's been on a little bit of a cold streak. I think he righted the ship a little bit. Yeah, um, no, no, he hasn't. Um, take a look at what he did to my boys today. Um, I think I had the one of the best offensive 
weeks I've had all season and he caught me in home runs. He caught me in runs. Uh, offensively, he's rolling. Pitching-wise, he got two great starts out of Darvish, so he gets one next week. Um, uh, even though Nate is is rolling, I'm going to go with Brophy. Okay. Um, anyone else want to chime in on this? Sean, can I put you on the spot? <sighs> I'm, I'm hoping for Nate, so I'm just going to go good vibes going towards Nate. I, I need all the help I can get the rest of us do in California winter. Um, but uh, – I don't know. Brophy just let Alex Cobb go. I think that could be his biggest regret of the season. He just waved him. So uh, he and I were just talking about trading for him and it didn't work out, but yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a good matchup. I'm going to give the momentum to, to Nate. He's going to win seven, five. All right, Mark. Brophy's got two start weeks out of a Savali and Kershaw. I don't, I don't know that I have anything else to say beyond that fact. Right. I mean, that's it. It's over. Wow, that's a that's a bold take right there. So volley isn't that good. Come on. No, yeah, but not that good. Watch him rack up 50 MGS next week. Star, I'm gonna after I said that. Star, you chime in and then I'll say one thing. So I I don't have, Nate has a bunch of players hurt, but it is nice to see that he that uh, Catal Marte came back this week for him, and that's huge. Uh, I don't know when his other guys are back. You know, I know. Like Alonzo, I think just went on the IL. I don't know what's up with Jeff McNeil uh, at this point. He needs those guys back. Um, not a deep team, um, but yeah, I think this. I, I think this could go either way. Honestly, I, I, I think. I don't know. Let's let's say six six. I uh, I think Nate's got Nate's pitching has been pitching and been going much better lately. That's the strength of Brophy's team. Um, you know, so. We'll see. If, we'll see if Nate's team can can keep up this hot pitching that he's been. Uh, oh, Kenta Maeda went on the IL. Apparently, I missed that. Yeah. Um, so that was what I wanted to point out. I think that's a little addition by subtraction because knowing when to start Maeda right now has been Nate's like biggest like open wound. I, I think like when you pay that kind of money and you just feel like you got to keep rolling him out and he keeps giving up five earned runs and dooming your pitching over and over. His pitching is good enough to win without Maeda. That's the thing. Against a lot of teams, he's at least going to break even and sometimes win. So I'll be curious to see what happens there. Um, yeah, so he doesn't have a lot of depth, though. I mean, I'm looking at, you, you know, Gray. Rich Hill has been surprisingly good. But Rogers and Sonny Gray has been much better. Zach Wheeler. Uh, but we very quickly get to like David Peterson and is Michael Walker even starting games right now? I don't even, I don't know what the situation is. He's opening uh, with Walker. Yeah. So like he does, he's going to have to throw pretty much everyone he has. Um, and only some of those guys are good. All right. Um, yeah, I think we, we covered that. Like I, at this point, I, it's going to be a really good matchup. I, I'll be very surprised if one of them, takes the other to town. Uh, I love that we do this on podcast because I get to see faces and sometimes I get private messages. And I would like to announce that Sean has changed his mind and wants to chime in on an LDB death. Go ahead, Sean. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I, uh, I want to call back to our excellent bull predictions conversation several weeks ago, and maybe we'll do like more of a rigorous assessment at midseason. But I wanted to declare Becker's bold prediction. And by the way, I really love Becker's bold quotient this year and just really well-written all around and very logical. But I want to Thanks, declare man. his Tony LaRusso will win AL Manager <laughs> of the Year prediction dead. Absolutely dead. 
Too early. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to quote it. For all the concern that Tony LaRusso would stifle the young dudes, I think he becomes beloved in Chicago by adopting the free spirit and swagger of guys like Tim Anderson and Luis Robert. We may see a few too many bunts in the North side, but I really think the Sox players rally behind the old guy and lead him to MOE, MOI honors. Either that or he's canned by August. So maybe, maybe Becker put in the good. He's I had it. I had Yeah. yeah. That but for everyone I'm sure has read about your main Mercedes and hitting the home run on the 3-0 pitch against the, the, the position player pitching and all that ridiculousness, I was really intrigued to see that uh, Tim Anderson actually like, like Instagram commented on some NBC Chicago story and then your main re replied to it. And it seemed pretty much insubordinate. So I know we're running low on time, but I just did want to declare it dead. Sorry, Becker. It was a great prediction, but you got to be, yeah. when you're bold, you, you miss sometimes. Look, there's time for the, him the to, to redeem himself. <laughs> did everyone see the, the, um... is, the, I mean, the, the bold prediction that, that may be right is we're, we, we might see a manager of a first place team get fired. <laughs> Did everyone see the Craig Calcaterra tweet? He would have he he would have won the bold prediction contest by far. He tweeted last October that on May 25th, 2021, LaRusso would give a quote agreeing with the opposing manager that his own player was out of line, that we don't play the game that way, and that I'll have a talk with him. So in October, he called it and missed it by two weeks. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's that that hurts me so much. They hate him. It's like it's so clear. I mean, he got into it with Lance Lynn the other day. Like, what the what the fuck is happening? Yeah, the most surprising part is not um, you know his dissatisfaction with the three zero swing. I think it's selling out publicly his own people. I've when I was a reporter, you I learned from Mike Sosha. I learned from Joe Torrey, like institutional baseball minds, and I think they would feel similarly on that three zero count. What they would never do is publicly sell out their own folks. And so while I think some people will, a lot of people will disagree with LaRusso on the 3-0, I think a lot of people would agree with him on that first point. But I think what's going to get him in trouble is just how, how strongly he's gone against his own guys. Becker, when, when LaRusso says he's going to face internal consequences, I think you've got a better line of sight into this than anyone in LDB. What does that look like for Mercedes? Kangaroo court. Yeah, so kangaroo court, do, do folks know what kangaroo court is? Kangaroo court is like mock trial where they sit in the clubhouse and um, they get fined for things. And so a, a fine for swinging 3-0 or a fine for missing a take sign is X amount of dollars. It's almost like a swear jar. And it is supposed to be a team building exercise where uh, somebody is named the judge and makes determinations. And usually like these decisions are just totally illogical and random. Um, so it's not like an administrative fine that he will face, but I think what he's referring to is kangaroo court. Um, it also could, I mean, I'm sure he spoke to him. I think he said he spoke to him. It's, it's strange too, though, that Hermine Mercedes, um, who had eight years in the minors, uh, it feels comfortable enough to be like, nah, I, I'm your mean, <laughs> like you're not going to change. <laughs> so there, there, that wouldn't have happened five years ago. Um, a rookie player um, basically disagreeing publicly with his hall of fame manager who's disagreed with him publicly. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I think, I think LaRusse is gone by August, but I could also see a world where he's manager of the year. 
I, I think I think Mercedes did that because I think he's got his team behind him. I think that's the thing. It's not just like he's like a lone rookie out, out there on his own. I think the team supports him and wants Larusa to go fuck himself. That that may be that may be so, but I think anyone any rookie willing to call himself by his first name in the third person um, also is is less likely to take a straw poll of who's behind him and more likely to just like publicly disagree with. He probably doesn't even know who, who the fuck Tony LaRusse is, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, to your point, Bear, I mean, it's he's going to have trouble unwinding this. And like, you know, there are a lot of important roles of a manager, particularly like connecting the analytics department these days to the development staff and all these different important pieces of an organization. But for the most part, it's keeping clubhouse chemistry going and, and handling right. the media and not creating controversy where you shouldn't. Right, this is, this is a problem. I, the, the most interesting part covering baseball to me was not the actual baseball or who won were actually talking to players. It was observing um, a workplace where the people in that workplace were the best of what they did uh, with a million different personalities and different nationalities and languages. And then the managerial staff that had to kind of combine all of these folks and get them on the same page. And that's, that was fascinating to me. And so an incident like this, like it's, it's kind of ugly, but it is, it's incredibly revealing and it's interesting, at least for me, to follow uh, all the little side stories. So I'm glad we, I'm glad you brought it up. Well, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. And, uh, and just before we sign off, I think we need to do about a 25 minute segment on the tones. So um, <laughs> Keep the tones out your mouth. They really didn't come up. So we're going to start with Mark. Mark, are the t- no, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, but uh, let's let's revert to final thoughts. Anybody got any any last thoughts? I'm just ha- happy that uh, we had Mark on as a guest. Terrific guest. You're very candid and revealing your your strategy. And I appreciate, uh, like I said before, when that you're willing to zig when others zag. Well, thank, thanks for having me, guys. Um, LDB is a blast, right? It's a it's a highlight of the year that lasts like seven months. So that's a, a good highlight to have. And this was it's a ton of fun. I love the new pod. I'm really glad I could hang out with you all for an hour. So thanks. I hope to get to do it again. Oh, you'll be back. You will be back there. <laughs> uh, we will not let you get away. That was that was aggressive. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna have everybody like rotating through. I think that's part of what makes this so great. Um, but uh, thank you for coming, uh, Sean Star. Any any last thoughts? I was just to say thanks for coming let's keep talking Jake McGee because that could transform my season <laughs> if, if I can acquire him and then uh you know we'll build some momentum to maybe a bigger Shane Bieber trade in a few weeks McGee for Bieber all it will take is Taylor think about out. it yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah I I, I want to thank Mark for coming on I, I did want uh Becker's kangaroo court thing made me think of something I saw today. Juan Soto did something today that was very much deserving of a penalty, of, of, of a fine. He did not run out a fly ball that got dropped and it cost him, it cost him us a run. And that, that, that was, and he was, I mean, to his credit, he was clearly very upset. He was throwing shit and like he was mad at himself for doing it, but that was, that, that's the kind of thing that like actually is deserving of, you know, one of these kangaroo court penalties, not, you know, what Jeremy Mercedes did. Uh, and sadly for Dubner, that might have been the difference in uh, our OBP match. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, um, 
I wish you all a good week. Uh, happy hunting. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Talk to you later. Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone. See you all.